0: Good morning, and welcome to the OTH Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Stang, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Stang. It's Monday, February 10th, and we have a lot to get through, so let's get started. All right, OTH Podcast listeners, I've got Anthony Miller here, uh, and we're going to talk XFL. You can find Anthony Miller on Twitter at Mill 40 He is a writer for us, both NFL and XFL, and he was at one of the games uh, this weekend, so we'll get his feel on how that was. Uh, how was your Sunday, Anthony? It was good. It was a uh, busy. Got to check out the
1: Battle Hawks and Dallas Renegades games, so that was exciting to see the first game of the XFL season in Dallas, so that was a good time for sure. Cool.
0: Awesome. So we're going to run through uh, the four games here and we'll kind of get your impressions on what you thought overall and then we'll kind of lump it all in and see... How we think XFL might do for week two, but also going forward as well. So we'll go ahead and get started with the first game. We had the DC Defenders against the Seattle Dragons. This was a pretty close game through the first half. I believe they were tied. And then uh, the Defenders kind of came out top 31 to 19. You had Cardell Jones leading the way for the defenders. He was 16 for 26 for 291 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Receiving-wise, they were led by Rodgers. He had six grabs for 73 yards. And the defense came through with a nice uh, 69-yard pick six. That was by Sylvie Um for the Seattle Dragons, they were uh, their quarterback silvers. He was 21 for 40, 217 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. And then uh, Ricky Prohl's son uh, plays for the Dragons. He had five grabs, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. When you were kind of watching this game, as this was really the kickoff of the whole weekend, uh, how do you think everything went with this game? I think overall, the presentation that was done by ABC
1: was. Uh... Really great to watch you know Steve levy was uh you know him along with Greg McElroy did a really great job with uh calling the the game, and I felt like with the reporters you know Tom Lucanbaugh and uh, Diana Rosso really did a fantastic job just kind of running around getting those interviews after a big play happened, so the presentation itself was great, the play on the field was. Um, I think exceeded expectations. I mean, I think the one thing that people always will always compare the XFL to is going to be um, the AAF last year. And the big issue with the AAF was the quarterback play. There was always a struggle with quarterbacks playing well outside of two or three uh, quarterbacks. So this time around, we got to see really good play from Cardell Jones. I thought he was very efficient. Um, He showed some mobility that um, typically we don't see from him. Uh, Brandon Silvers the Seattle Dragons quarterback I thought played well up until probably the second half and then we kind of he kind of slowed down a little bit Um, so overall I think both teams played really well I thought the receiving cores were strong Um, defensively you know I thought the DC defenders played really well I mean the one thing I would say about you know, how D.C. played, they won on all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams by getting touchdowns. So this was probably the most complete team win of the weekend
0: coming from D.C. Gotcha. Yeah, this was the one game I really didn't get to see. Unfortunately, I was uh, earning my main job. I was working uh, Saturday afternoon, so I didn't really get to catch this one. But I heard a lot of good things, and there was a lot of good excitement overall on how this game went. Um, So we'll move forward onto the second game. And now this game was covered by Fox at five o'clock. This pitted the Houston Roughnecks against the LA Wildcats. This game was, I thought super exciting. Um, I pretty much watched this whole game from beginning to end. You had the Roughnecks uh, scoring 37 points while the Wildcats scored 17. And they really pulled away mostly in the second half. Um, I think the, all-star performance of the weekend uh, offensively is probably going to go to P.J. Walker for the Roughnecks. He was 23 for 39 for 272 yards, had four touchdowns and one interception. Uh, his main target that day was Phillips. Uh, he had four grabs for 67 yards and a touchdown touchdown. For the L.A. Wildcats, they were a little bit um, handicapped at the um, quarterback position due to uh, the trade that happened about five or six days ago when they brought in Kanoff because they were having injury problems. Uh, Josh Johnson, who was supposed to be their starting quarterback, uh, went down with a thigh injury earlier in the week, but he ended up going for 20, 21 for 40 for 214 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Unfortunately, he left uh, late or early in the fourth quarter with, a, I believe, a dislocated left shoulder And uh, spruce their wide receiver was really the main target for Kanoff all day. He had 11 grabs for 103 yards. Uh, what was your thoughts on this game? As I think PJ Walker played extremely well,
1: I 100% agree with you. I think PJ Walker was definitely the star of the weekend. Um, you know, he's a guy that played exceptionally well at Temple under Matt Rule when he was coaching them, and you know, he had a chance to play on the Colts, wasn't able to make the team, but I think this weekend might have opened some eyes for NFL scouts that might be looking at these XFL players. So, P.J. Walker, I mean, just the way that he was able to move out of the pocket and just throw with such great accuracy with his deep passes was really amazing to watch. So, he was a lot of fun to kind of be able to gravitate to on the TV. Another guy that I think kind of really surprised me was James Butler, the running back Roughnecks. Originally, Andre Williams was supposed to be the one that was going to carry the load for the Roughnecks, but he ended up having zero yards on two carries. So he was basically a non-factor. Kind of looked like he didn't really fit in with the offense, but Butler fits him perfectly with the how versatile he is being able to catch out of the backfield and being able to run on the outside. So I thought James Butler played really well and would be a guy that maybe people that play fantasy should look at. Um, Nelson is just one of the best receivers in the XFL. He was exceptional last year when he was in the alliance with the San Diego fleet, proved it again, uh, you know, this weekend. So I thought he played really well. I thought Charles Knuff actually played well in the first half. You know, he looked really good. They were only down by one going into the half. And then you kind of saw he got the emotions, you know, the emotions really got the best of him in the second half and kind of lost control of the game. And then they tried to throw in Jalen McClendon or Jalen McClendon and, you know, he just wasn't able to do anything on his couple drives. So I think there are some questions with the Wildcats quarterback position. But if Josh Johnson is able to come back for week two, that will be um, very helpful for the team.
0: Yeah, I thought Kanoff played very respectful in the first half. Um, he had some really good drives going there. He wasn't making any mistakes. Um but the, the one kind of series that really stood out in my mind, and I really have to give credit to the offensive coordinator on this, is I want to say it was like the second touchdown drive for them, and they basically ran the same play three times in a row. And that third time, it was all, the re- all on the read that Walker had to make, and the cornerback took the bait because they went back-to-back throws into the flat out of that formation, and then they had like a fade-go route run by the outside receiver, and the cornerback just got caught with his hand in the cookie jar trying to take the flat, and next thing you know, the ball's over his head with a great catch by the wide receiver. So we'll go on to the Sunday games. Um, Now, these I thought were kind of a little bit more – of the kind of stuck in the mud games unfortunately um i thought saturday's games had a lot more excitement to them um but for sunday the first game started out and this game was on fox as well this put the uh, new york guardians up against the tampa Bay vipers Uh, the guardians win this game 23 to 3 You had a former Penn state quarterback, uh, McGloin. He went 15 for 29, 182 yards and one touchdown. Um, you had, uh, receiving for them. McKay had three grabs for 58 yards and Pearson had two grabs for 44 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the guardians defense had a score in this game. It was off a fumble. It was a 13 yard touchdown run by Summers that was, um, upheld uh, through video replay. And then for Tampa Bay, you had uh, former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray, which has spawned a little bit of debate on our OTH football uh, analysts and writers talking about the Georgia quarterbacks and who's better than others. Uh, he went 16 for 34, 231 yards and two interceptions. Unfortunately, he did not look good at in this game at all um then you had running the ball they did pretty well smith had 16 carries for 79 yards and the leading receiver for them was williams with six grabs and 123 yards i know this game was probably a little bit harder for you to follow because you were uh, getting ready for the battle hawks renegades game but from what you saw what do you think uh, happened really a lot in this game
1: yeah, so I was able to watch uh, a pretty good portion of this game, and I, I think from
0: what I was able to
1: see, you know, Devon Smith is one of the top running backs in this league. He's another guy that, you know, played well in the alliance with the Orlando Apollos, and I thought he, he was the pretty much the only bright spot to the Vipers' offense. He ran the ball efficiently well. I think the Guardians may have some problems with their rush defense they're going to have to look at it in the next few weeks, but I thought the Vipers, you know, offensively, the running game was great. Aaron Murray's got a lot of questions to him. You know, we saw it last year when he was with the Atlanta Legend, in the Alliance. He just wasn't very accurate with the ball and but I, I think another issue is they just don't have the receivers, you know, Antonio Callaway was uh injured and he's probably out for the season for the Vipers this year. So they lost a huge weapon there. They cut Stacy Cooley uh earlier in the week. So the, uh, they they left Murray with not much to work with in the receiving core. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to kind of build off of that. Um, in terms of New York, I think they have one of the best defenses in the league. I mean, Jamar Summers is an exceptional corner. He made a big play today, scoring a touchdown, but he's so great in coverage. He's one of the best to, you know, one of the best shutdown corners in the league. I think defensively, the Guardians have, you know, what it takes. You know, obviously, I think Matt McGoin probably could have played better in, in terms of how but the offense did enough today to win. I'd be a little bit concerned about their running game, but besides that, if McGoin's able to kind of pick it up and hit McKay and Pearson um, this season, then I, I think the Guardians have a good chance of winning the East.
0: Yeah, I was impressed with uh, the Guardians' defensive line, especially I thought – Right now, from what I've seen so far, between the Guardians and the Roughnecks, those are probably the two best defensive lines um, in the league so far. So we'll kind of see how that goes on. Because if I'm right, I believe the Guardians play the Defenders next week. So that should be a real interesting game. Then we'll go ahead and finish up uh, the Sunday's matchup with the game you were uh, lucky enough to be at. Uh, We had the St. Louis Battlehawks going up against the Dallas Renegades. Um, this was kind of a pretty slow game. A lot of field goals kicked in this game, but the battle Hawks pulled off the victory 15 to nine. You had uh, St. Louis's quarterback Taamu. He had uh, 20. He was 20 for 27, 209 yards and one touchdown and also killed uh, Dallas with his legs. He had nine carries for 77 yards. Rushing, though, was led by their running back, Jones. He had 21 carries for 85 yards, and then receiving uh, his main target was Pearson L. He had four grabs for 64 yards. For Dallas, uh, was a struggle for the quarterback, Nelson. Uh, he was 33 for 42 for 209 yards and one interception, and that sealed the game. Uh, his main target was Nagel. He had six grabs for 43 yards, and Parnham came in behind that with four grabs for 40 yards. So with being at the game, what would you kind of see here?
1: I, I think the one thing that really stood out to me was Jordan Teamo's performance. Um, this is a guy that essentially is a rookie for this team, and he kind of had to step in into um, a big spotlight, a big opportunity for the Battlehawks to go on the road in week one in Dallas, which, you know, the atmosphere was great at Globe Life Park, you know, kind of a rare sight to see football at a baseball field. But uh, I think the fans were really into it. The crowd was, was, you know, roaring loud. So for Tiamu, it was probably just trying to get used to the feel of the game. And I thought, I thought for the most part, he knocked it out of the park. You know, I think the big point that came up was early in the fourth quarter where he was able to, um, knock off a, a big 37-yard run that would end up setting up his touchdown pass to Russell. That was really the key in the game that that separated um, the Battlehawks from the Renegades. In, in terms of how the Renegades played, you know, it was defensively they just struggled against stopping the run. Tiamu had um, you know 77 yards. Matt Jones. Who was actually listed as the backup came in and played and ended up starting and played exceptionally well with 85 yards rushing. So I thought he was able to open up some big runs on the Renegades' defense. So that's probably going to be a concern coming up for Dallas. But offensively, you know, I thought Philip Nelson played pretty well. Uh, I have not much for negativity, for, you know, you know, for how he played. I I just think the play calling was just very conservative. They did a lot of. Just crossing routes, slant routes that were five to seven yards, which is why um, their wide receiver, Flynn Nigel, who is a, a slot receiver, was able to have a uh, end up being the leading receiver because that's what he's known for, catching those short passes. Uh, a concern for me for the Renegades also is the running game. They just weren't able to open up any lanes. You know, Lance Dunbar had a pretty nice game in the backfield in terms of catching and running, but just never felt like they were able to get anything going the running game. So, I think that's what really hurt Dallas, and I'm sure if you know when they're able to get Landry Jones back in a week or two, I, I think the offense is going to open up a lot more.
0: Yeah, they'll definitely need that experience at the quarterback. But you know, when I'm when you look at the stats and he's talk about like 33 um, receptions and only 209 yards, that average is not very good overall. Unfortunately, especially when you calculate that in the NFL kind of um, data. But with being there um, in the press box on the field, how was the feel of um, the game overall and with how the excitement was um, for the fans and how the players were?
1: Yeah, I think the crowd was really great. I mean, they were just so excited about having that team there. I think there, there ended up being uh, 17,000 and like 26 uh, fans that were in the in stance tonight, it, it was a great feel. I, I think being able to close off that top part of the field, uh, you know, in the, in the stadium and just have everyone closer to the field, I think that added to the noise. So I, 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 I think, and, you know, also the Renegades have done a great job of fan engagement and getting the crowd into it. So I think the presentation of how the game was done, you know, in, in that stadium was um really exceptionally done and I, I think there's you know a lot more excitement that's gonna come into that into Dallas in the next few weeks, especially when Landry Jones comes back. I think the crowd is gonna be really excited about you know seeing him in the field and seeing Bob stoops. So I, I think engagement is going to be fantastic, you know, heading into the this uh end part of the season for the team.
0: Cool. Now like what now we always know And we see this, and everybody talks about it, the speed of the game. And we know the NFL, the speed of the game is extremely fast. How do you think the player speed in this kind of hold up against that um, of the NFL players? I don't know how the players felt,
1: but at least for me, being up there watching, it was so fast, on, you know, that tw- the new 25-second play clock. It was hard for me just to get tweets out to talk about <laughs> plays, and I just felt like I didn't have enough time. But yeah. um, th- these, these guys have had, um, you know, at least two months to kind of work on prepping for that 25-second play clock and working through that. And I think the big thing with the league also is um, their new line of communication where they're putting, you know, the communication lines in receivers' helmets, running backs' helmets, quarterbacks' helmets, so that – those quarterbacks can make a quick call to the O-line to tell them what protection they need. And then everyone knows what their job is after that. So I think that definitely has helped cut down on, you know, how much a quarterback has to say and remember during that time. But um, also the speed of the game was, you know, I I think the players adjust to it well. I think the fans really enjoyed it because it's less down, you know, downtime and more playing. So that was kind of fun for fans to watch. And I'm sure it was exciting for, you know, players to, get lined up with
0: yeah i thought the pace of play was really good with these games it was definitely that quick action feel um the other thing i thought that was really cool and they've done good with this and i think this is made for good product especially on the tv side i don't know how much um of an effect it makes on the in stadium feel but definitely listening like to the communication between the replay booth and the officials when they're looking at video and kind of dissecting it, hearing that um, transparency, I think is really good and it's kind of refreshing to see it. Would you kind of see what the replay officials looking at and the communication that he has with the officials? So something like that I think is really cool. And then the other thing that I thought was really nice and this was something that I noticed a lot in the um, Saturday night game with the Roughnecks and the Wildcats, but I have mad respect for Joel Clatt. I think he's a hell of an analyst. Um, whenever they would go through and do the um, live look into the play call from the offensive coordinator to the quarterback, he would go through and basically tell you what each component of the play meant. And I thought that was an absolutely awesome part to the game on Saturday night that just gave an insight to what a lot of people that have never necessarily played football before and are just fans to kind of see that and hear it and understand what all those numbers and codes and combinations mean.
1: Yeah, that was something that I noticed too. And, you know, Greg McElroy kind of did something similar with the ABC game with the the Seattle Dragons and the DC Defenders. That's, I think that you're right. That's something that, you know, is really cool to kind of listen to. And the, the other thing that I love that Fox was able to do is they were able to get inside the headsets of the coaches and be able to just talk to them right on the field after they've had like a successful drive or something like that. So just the, how technology, you know, technology, has been working for the XFL. They've been able to find ways to work around it. And the product just sounds fantastic on the field. And, you know, it sounds great to watch on television. I'm really excited to see more of that throughout the season.
0: I agree. I I was a little more impressed with Fox's coverage overall um, this weekend than I necessarily was with ABC and ESPN. But um, I think they have some really good analysts uh, that are up in the booth for those games. So I think they kind of, right there do have a little bit of an edge over espn abc but other than that um anthony it's been awesome getting to talk with you um i know you're part of the afc south division that i uh, oversee for the nfl and i look forward to working with you more this year and fans just so you know um on oth you can find anthony on twitter at Ant Mill 40 He does a lot of XFL rating. We'll be doing some NFL for us later in the year. So definitely follow him. He has some good information and I know he's helping out with, I believe, the fantasy side of the XFL. So if you have any questions for him, you should definitely hit him up. Anthony, thanks for joining me uh, today and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Awesome. Take care. Today's MMA segment is brought to you by OvertimeHeroics.net sponsor, Rep Sports Raz Energy Drink. It's zero sugar and will not make you crash. Go to OvertimeHerox.net and get 30% off your order using promo code OTH1. Alright, we're here with Luke. He's part of the MMA division here at OvertimeHeroics.net. You can find him on Twitter at SWR underscore MMA. Luke, how you doing today?
2: Pretty good. Thanks for having me on, Ed. Appreciate it.
0: Definitely glad to have you, uh, especially... With talking to you over the weekend. I really like your MMA knowledge uh, and I've seen some of the stuff you've been doing. So uh, great work so far. Uh, We're going to jump right in here and talk some of the fight on Saturday, especially since we had a lot of controversy coming out. Um, I definitely noticed on my Twitter account uh, Saturday night and even into Sunday, a lot of talk over officiating. We'll kind of get into a little bit of that, but I want to talk about really quick the one match that I got a, a fortunate enough chance to see, and that was the debut of Chaos Williams. Uh, he was coming in against a heavy favorite, and Alex Morono, who is from uh, the Houston area, and really with the the finish of the night and the night, 27 seconds he TKOs Alex Morono uh, a little bit. What did you think about that match, and how did you think uh, Williams made with his debut?
2: Uh, well, I mean, with, uh, 27 seconds, there's, there's not a whole lot to break <laughs> down there, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he came in on relatively short notice. Uh, Morona was originally scheduled to face, uh, grappling based fighter in Diego Lima. So as we pretty much saw in those 27 seconds, uh, Morona wasn't, a wasn't getting a grappling based fighter here is pretty much Williams blitzed him, just big, big barrage of punches. And, uh, Ended up putting him out, you know. Morono tried to do the best he could to survive. Definitely uh, slipped some of the punches, but you know, Williams just put it on him, and uh, you gotta get up there, you know. These uh, short notice younger guys coming in, sometimes you gotta, you just gotta go after these guys. And uh, he made good on his debut. Ended up cashing as a plus three fifty five, or I'm sorry, three thirty five underdog, which was the biggest on the card. So uh, hats off to Mr. Williams.
0: Yeah, when I was watching that match, I saw that uh, left hook he hit to kind of get the first stumble action out of Morono. And then he pretty much pinned him up against the cage and caught him just with a nasty uppercut with his right hand and That was almost an immediate drop to the floor for him. So I was very impressed with that debut, and I'll definitely be looking forward to seeing him again. But we'll get into more of the main card stuff here. Um, First one you highlighted for me was the uh, split decision of Ewell over Martinez. Go ahead and give us kind of what you thought of this fight and what kind of possibly turned uh, this only going as a split decision.
2: Yeah, well so Andre Yule here he opened up uh, minus 190 which pretty much got bet down over the course of the last 2 weeks before the fight um he ended up closing at minus 120 so just at a slight favorite um almost a pick'em. uh but ultimately this is this was kind of the first or I believe it was the first fight and one of the early catalysts you know of just kind of the the suspect judging here um Not so much more so in the sense that Andre Yule won the fight. I actually personally did score it for Andre Yule at 29 28, but one judge gave Andre Yule a 30 27, which was, in my opinion, just completely disrespectful in terms of Jonathan Martinez, who did land good shots. And like I said, I I personally scored at 29 28 for Yule, but would not have been surprised to see it go. 29 28 the other way for martinez as well so that that 30 27 scorecard uh all one-sided for Yule was was just completely off and for, from what we heard from the commentary in the corner it looks like andre Yule did hurt his arm too i be, i believe like halfway through the second or maybe even early in the third i don't know if martinez picked up on that but Yule was actually able to to uh rebound and i thought uh win that third round, even with pretty much one arm, you see, he was still throwing it, but uh, I mean, props to both guys. It was a good fight, but uh, there's, there's really just no excuse for a third 27 scorecard card way sway there. Definitely.
0: You hate when you see stuff like that. Cause you almost wonder uh, what was that judge watching? Like, what are you looking at that? It was so such a disparity, but your other fellow judges kind of saw it more like a two one on a three on a three round match. So, but as you said, this was kind of a catalyst to the rest of the night. Uh, that will take us to the next highlighted match for you, uh, that we'll go over. So this is going to be the ladies match. This was the split decision win for Murphy over Lee. Uh, go ahead and tell us what you thought of this match and what you saw with the scoring.
2: So, uh, I mean, as we kind of just touched on with the Martinez fight, you know, that, that fight was a lot, uh, closer in my opinion. Um, But yeah, this Andrea Lee, Lauren Murphy fight, uh, Andrea Lee ended up closing at minus 280, but was all the way up around minus 350 at large points of the week. Uh, A lot of action came in on Murphy late with the Andrea Lee weight cut. She did have a tough weight cut. Um, So I'm thinking that's kind of what influenced that line movement late there. But uh, actually the day of uh, on Saturday, I did end up moving in on a pretty big play for Andrea Lee at a minus 290, uh, minus 300 was the price I was looking for, got minus 290. Uh, ultimately, Andrea Lee was, is really just the the better fighter, uh, pretty much anywhere the fight goes, better striker, uh, wins in the grappling, you know, she's defensively better, more active, she strikes at a 53% rate, landing uh, over five strikes per minute. Um, Lauren Murphy's kind of just been historically an underachiever, so that's ultimately really why I pulled the trigger here. And, you know, I, I do have to give props to Lauren Murphy here. She, she did coax Andrea Lee into a bit of a brawl at some points, which is really how she does like to fight. However, I think Andrea Lee just, she did better over the course of three rounds. I think what really swayed certain uh, scorecards here was that Murphy was able to secure a couple takedowns. Uh, but if you really look at those takedowns, she wasn't able to do anything with them. She wasn't able to advance position. She wasn't able to pass. She wasn't able to land strike. She wasn't able to uh, attempt any sort of submissions. And, you know, Andrea Lee wasn't really on her back for any overt extended period of time, maybe, maybe a minute or two at max. I haven't watched the fight back, but uh, ultimately Andrea Lee just outstruck her over the course of three rounds. And so touching really back on the on the UEL fight real quick i mean we're going to we get another we get another 30-27 score card here for Lauren Murphy which is just it's incon- inconceivable it it does not make any sense i don't i don't understand what 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 the judges are watching here there is no way you can possibly score that fight 30-27 for Lauren Murphy i can i can honestly say you can potentially give her one round Two, I think, is a massive stretch. You can potentially give her one round, but let alone one judge giving her three rounds on the card is just absolutely atrocious. Andrea Lee got robbed here.
0: Gotcha. Now, just asking with this, do you think it, was it the same judge that scored the same from the Ewell Martinez mount, or was it one of the other judges?
2: Um, I don't believe it was the same judge for the Murphy fight, but for the um, Ewell Martinez fight in a fight we're going in the two fights we're going to get into next that same judge had poor scorecards in um, the following two fights as well so it was I don't believe I could be wrong I don't believe it was the same judge for this one um, but the same judge on three of the uh, fights we're going to talk about tonight yeah he had uh, poor scorecards the opposite way
0: no problem. Sounds good. Then we'll jump right into those last two. Uh, we'll get to the one before we get to the main uh, event one, but we had uh, Giles uh, gaining a split decision over Kraus. So what do you see in this matchup?
2: Uh, well, I guess just to give a little background here, uh, Trevin Giles was supposed to face Antonio Arroyo, who had a bit of a tough weight cut and ultimately ended up collapsing in his hotel room uh, the night before the fight. So he was ultimately pulled and James Krause was here to corner, uh, a fellow fighter for the UFC 247 card and the UFC kind of just extended their hand and said, Hey Krause, you want to step in here on short notice? And him being the, the warrior that he is, he's, uh, he took the fight on less than 24 hours notice up a weight class at middleweight. Krause actually used to fight at, um, lightweight which is 155 pounds recently moved to 170 so i mean if you think about that it's a 30 pound jump from when he historic where he historically fought in the past taking a fight on 24 hours notice so props to kraus for stepping in here but uh ultimately i think we got another wonky scorecard here as i in the first round Krauss was able to uh get giles down and he took his back for roughly a good solid three to four minutes had the body triangle on, was threatening submissions. And uh, towards the end of the fight, when we, you know, when we got the scorecards, we saw this uh, same judge that we're going to keep uh, bringing up here tonight gave that first round to Trevin Giles. And once again, that's, that's completely inexcusable. If, if a guy has an opponent's back for three to four minutes and is threatening submissions, barring that Giles dropped Kraus or nearly almost finished him in that first round, there is no way you should give that round to Trevin Giles. It just makes absolutely no sense. Now, Trevin Giles did land a lot of big big shots throughout the course of that fight, but Kraus really rallied late in third, and he also started to push the pace, and he landed a lot of big shots of his own. So to me, as a viewer, regardless of where I, uh, where I put my money here in this fight – I had it a pretty clear 29-28 decision for James Krause stepping in on 24 hours notice. Uh, Once again, another uh, inexcusable um, optic of judging. I I don't know what he was watching in that first fight, or I'm sorry, in that first round.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of UFC matches over my time, and typically, I mean, I'd have to agree with you on that one. If you have somebody that is dominating an opponent on the mat, with body control and definitely threatening submissions unless that unless they've been up in a stand-up position and the other guy has somehow caught the opponent with a hit that stumbled him and he was able to recover from it should by no means that be anything less than a 10-9 card i mean when you talk about Going that long and that's just about The whole round when you talk about that Five minute mark if he's on his If he's got him on his back for four minutes I mean you could almost call that a 10-8 Round really in the grand scheme Of things because he had him completely In control
2: Yeah and like, like I said I mean if, if It was maybe shorter maybe if it was only Like maybe a couple minutes of back Control and then Giles was able to be on the Feet for a good solid three minutes and you know Land those big shots Hey, I mean, then 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 I understand potentially giving that round to Giles. But at the end of the day, I, I think when it comes to scoring, you have you have to look at who's who's closest to finishing this fight in in the round. You know, if James Krause has the guy's back for three or four minutes, is threatening chokes. You know, credit to Trevin Giles, he was able to defend all those. But being w- with your back taken with a body triangle on you, that's not that's in no way, shape or form an offensive position. He's not landing any strikes. He's defending well, but all of that time needs to be given credit to Kraus, regardless of whether he finishes his mission or not. So I, I just thought that was another egregious example of judging there.
0: Yeah, I agree with that on that one. Um, just, hearing other thing with this and that kind of domination of around it should have definitely gone the other way, but we'll finish up, uh, today. I'm with Luke. He's from our MMA department. You can find him on Twitter at SWR underscore MMA. Uh, so we'll get in, to the final match of the night. This was the light heavyweight championship match. This had John Bones Jones uh, getting a unanimous decision over Reyes, who going into this fight was 12 and zero. So it's not like he was really fighting a low level, say four and O five and O upcomer. Um, this was the number four ranked light heavyweight in the division coming in undefeated and from what I've heard on this, was definitely, once again, another questionable, unanimous decision. So overall, what would you see on this, Luke, and uh, what kind of happened with the scoring here?
2: Yeah, so I mean, uh, I guess just to just to preface real quick with the betting odds, I always come in with a betting perspective, as I'm a betting man. But uh, yeah, and uh, all of Jones' fight since he won the title in 2011 against Shogun Hua, in terms of an odds perspective, Dominic, Dominic Reyes was the fourth toughest opponent that John has faced in terms of the odds. Um, You know, John, John, I think a lot of people are saying that he's kind of slowed down in recent years. I don't necessarily know if I would agree with that. Maybe he's just fighting a little bit more conservative leading to some more closer fights, but um, you know, I, I don't think Reyes got a lot of respect here from a lot of people. And I'll be the first one to admit I didn't, I didn't give a ton either. Um, My assessment kind of was, I thought that, you know, Reyes would be able to come on strong early, but, you know, he's not going to be able to keep up the pace over the course of five rounds, which is kind of ultimately what what happened. You know, he had a lot of success early. I personally scored the fight 48-47 for Reyes. I gave Reyes rounds one, two, and three. I think John took over in four and five as Reyes uh, began to slow down. And John kind of was able to uh, pick up on his timing a little bit more. And, you know, that footwork of Reyes was starting to slow down. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think John took over in the later rounds. I, I don't consider this one, I guess, as egregious per se as as some of the other other calls tonight. But I guess really what I want to hit on the in this fight is, once again, a one of the particular scorecards that was out there. One judge had this fight. John Jones, giving John four out of the five rounds. To me, once again, that I I don't know what this guy is watching because Dominic Reyes, if anything, you can say John won three rounds that he won rounds three, four, and five. I don't, there's no way you can tell me that John won four rounds of that fight. He, I, I, I think that might've just been kind of a well, obviously, incompetence plays a factor, but I, I don't know if it's kind of a a champion's advantage there. You know, I, the guy's been just so dominant for over the course of the last decade. I, I guess I don't know if that plays an impact into into any of the judging there. But, you know, D- Reyes went out there and really fought a great fight. You know, like I said, he did slow in the later rounds, but that's kind of expected out of Reyes. But uh, you really got to take your hats off to this guy. I think I think he did enough to get the job done. But a forty, uh 48, 47 Jones scorecard I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too mad about here either. So I'm not I'm not disappointed at the fact that, that Jones got the nod here, but that that forty nine, forty six scorecard was was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it almost it almost thinks kind of back to I know back I used to watch a lot of boxing, especially like the golden times in the 80s and early 90s, where basically the mentality was, if you were the um, uh, the non-title holder, you basically pretty much, for the most part, couldn't go to a decision against the champion. You had mm-hmm. to make it almost a no doubt, like, all right, this guy just whooped on the champion hands down, or to the point of almost knocking him out. And with how you speak about what, talking about how this bout went, it was a little bit kind of of that mentality, possibly by this one judge in particular, where Reyes, to everybody else's eye, was doing enough and controlling and winning the round, but because Reyes wasn't doing big damage or anything super impressive, he's like, oh, I'll just give the round to the champion.
2: Yeah, and I guess I I do want to touch on another thing real quick. At one point during the broadcast, it was back during the Andrea Lee Lauren Murphy fight. Um, the the commentary team called it out. There was actually a judge that was looking at the ground for an extended period of time during this fight. He what he he literally wasn't even watching the fight. <laughs> wasn't He wasn't watching the fight, and and they called it on it. Uh, they called him on it, and. You know, other people did confirm this as well. So, I mean, that that was kind of just really the really the shining light here of of kind of what this entire card was. I mean, y- you got guys who are literally not even watching the fight. So, I I with with the scorecards, you know, late in the in the Reyes uh, Jones fight, it really doesn't surprise me either if if guys aren't even watching the fight, let alone don't even know uh, basic scoring criteria. So.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's a shame because it's a, it's a disservice to not only the fighters, but a big disservice to the fans, especially to the very knowledgeable fans that the MMA does have, especially for those that come out, um, to the pay-per-view events, they know what they're looking at and they've seen it long enough over the years that they know who's winning a match and who isn't. So when you have a, a, a scoring official that basically screws the pooch, um, to say to be nice about it um it it definitely puts a little bit of a black eye on the event overall even though i mean there was some really good um uh, fights in this in this pay-per-view overall because um the Bautista guy with that flying knee knockout he had um, mm-hmm. ear- earlier in the night, that was super impressive when he did that in the second round. And he caught the—he caught John's flush. And so there was some really good knockouts that happened. There was another um, quick knockout that actually happened. Um, that was Newsom um, TKO'd Pilardi in 38 seconds in the first round. So there was some impressive fighting that happened. And it's a shame because the, the scoring has kind of overshadowed a lot of good fights that happened on this card.
2: Yeah. And I, I, I just want to touch on one more point as well. You know, I'm with, with how the current pay structure works for these guys and girls as well too. Their pay structure is just based on uh, show and win bonus. So if, if they don't win, they're getting half their paycheck. So imagine go, you're, you're putting in a 12-week, 8-week training camp. You know, you got to pay your coaches. You got to pay to fly out there. You know, you have your, your different supplements that you're paying for, everything to keep your, your regiment healthy, you know. And due to just basic incompetence of people who don't know what they're looking at, A lot of these people have families too. You know, they have, they got spouses, they have kids and because someone doesn't know what they're looking at now they're taking home half of their paycheck and it's, it's, it's just terrible. And you know, something, something needs to change. These athletic commissions need to be held accountable. They, they do. I, I try not to complain about things I, I don't have a particular answer for necessarily, but you know, the, the commissions need to be held accountable, whether that's, you know, factoring in different judges, whether you're using past fighters, whether that's using an open scoring system. So the fighters know what the score is at the end of the round. So that can maybe impact how they fight the rest of the fight. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I wish I had all the answers. Unfortunately, I don't. But what I do know for a fact is that this has been a problem that's been happening for a long time. And when you enter a new market like this in Texas, that's not notoriously known for for holding these big fights. You know, this is what's going to happen. And you're like you like you touched on earlier. You know, you're doing a disservice to the fans and you're ultimately doing a disservice to the fighters. It just it just puts a, a black eye on the sport. Yeah, which is
0: unfortunate, especially nowadays, because social media can pretty much take a hold of that and run wild with it. So hopefully for when the next pay-per-view comes around, we don't see anything like this and the uh, scoring is a lot much better. But on that note, uh, i like to thank you, Luke, for coming on uh, with us for Monday morning. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and getting uh, a chance to know you a little bit. Once again, um, you can follow Luke on Twitter at SWR underscore MMA. Thanks for joining me this uh, this morning and hope to have you on again soon.
2: Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. Have a good day. All right. Bye now.
0: And now your scores from last night, and then we preview today's top events. Okay, your top scores from this weekend. We're going to start with the NHL on Saturday night. Lightning beat the Islanders 3-1. The Penguins beat the Panthers 3-2. The Flyers crushed the Capitals 7-2. The Avalanche beat the Blue Jackets 2-1. The Stars beat the Blues 3-2 in overtime. Sorry Canucks fans, the Flames beat you 6-2. And then the Hurricanes beat the Golden Knights in a overtime shootout 6-5. On Sunday, you had the Red Wings with the upset 3 to 1 over the Boston Bruins. The Blackhawks lose to the Winnipeg Jets 5 2, and the Colorado Avalanche beat the Wild 3 2. Men's top 25 action from the weekend. On Saturday, you had number 3, Kansas, beat TCU 60 46. Number 8, Florida State, beat Miami 99 81. Number 11, Auburn. Wins in overtime over number 18 LSU 91 to 90. Number 16 Michigan State falls to in-state rival Michigan 77 to 68. Kentucky wins easily uh, over Tennessee 77-64. Number 6, Dayton, cruises to the wind over St. Louis, 71 65. You have number 13, West Virginia, getting upset by Oklahoma, 69 59. Seton Hall, number 12, beats Villanova, number 10, 70 64. Number 5, Louisville, handles Virginia, 80 73. Number 22, Penn State, beats Minnesota, 83 77. Number one, Baylor handles Oklahoma State, 78-70. Number seven, Duke beats UNC in overtime, 98-96 on a last-second bucket. Nebraska, 96-72. Number 21, Creighton beats St. John's, 94-82. Number 24, Colorado beats Stanford, 81-74. Number four, San Diego State easily beats Air Force, 89-74. Number two Gonzaga cruises uh, to a victory over St. Mary's 90 to 60. Number 23 Arizona's upset by UCLA, 65 to 52. and then number 14 Oregon. Loses to Oregon State, 63-53. On Sunday, only two matchups. Number 19, Butler, is upset by Marquette, 76-57. And number 25, Houston, easily wins over Wichita State, 76-43. In NBA, your top games on Saturday. The Milwaukee Bucks beat the Orlando Magic, 111-95. The Toronto Raptors squeak by the Brooklyn Nets, 119-118. The Timberwolves destroy the uh, LA Clippers 142-115. to 115. The Timberwolves hit a franchise record 26 three-pointers. The Lakers narrowly held on to beat the Golden State Warriors 125-120. to 120. LeBron James hits a last-minute three-pointer to ice the game. On Sunday, you had the Boston Celtics narrowly beating the Oklahoma City Thunder, 112-111. to The Philadelphia 76ers handled the Chicago Bulls, 118-111. to And then the Houston Rockets lose to the Utah Jazz, 114-113. And now your top events for Monday night that you should keep an eye on. In the NBA, you have the Utah Jazz going up against the Dallas Mavericks at 8.30. Most impressive night for the NHL coming up. All the games that are on the schedule have playoff implications involved. So definitely want to check out the hockey for Monday night. Men's Top 25 action. You have two Top 10 teams going at it. Number 8, Florida State. Goes against number 7, Duke. Then you have number one, Baylor, playing Texas. On the women's side, big uh, powerhouses going at it. Number four, UConn, plays number one, South Carolina. And number 21, Northwestern, faces Michigan State. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Head over to OvertimeRooks.net to find your favorite podcast guest articles or follow them on Twitter. Today you had SWR underscore MMA and Aunt Mill 40 as our guest today. So if you want to follow them, go on over there, and that's their Twitter handles. Have a wonderful day, and hope you come back and listen to our next podcast.